the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, it does not really matter what kind of a start you got. What matters is how well you finish. Some of you came to know Christ at a very young age, and some of you came to know Christ later in your life. And I hear people from time to time talk about how I wish I'd come to know Christ earlier in life because I regret some of the things before I knew Jesus. And okay, you know what? You got out of the blocks a little bit late on the start, but it doesn't matter. What matters is how you finish. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jude. Are you concerned that you've come to know Christ too late in life? Or worry that you've lost opportunities because your younger years were spent far away from God? Well, in today's message, Pastor Gary shares that what matters is how you finish your life. Maybe you got a late start, but it's the finish line that really counts. Go out today and start finishing the race strong. Pray for unbelievers who have yet to start the race. Help them understand that it's never too late to start living for God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jude, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here's a little background on the book of Jude. The writer is Jude, but that's actually a contracted form of his proper name, which is Judas. And he is the half-brother of Jesus, and he is the brother of James. If you notice in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, the reason that he's making this distinction is because Judas, his real name, is obviously another well-known name, and uh, Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 of the original apostles that Jesus selected. And so this Judas, otherwise known as Jude, it's kind of like Robert is known as Bob, okay? So this Judas wants you to know, I'm not that Judas. I'm not Judas Iscariot. I am a bondservant of Jesus, and it's interesting, he doesn't use the family card. You know, he doesn't say, you know, Jesus is my half-brother. He calls himself a bondservant. It's the Greek word uh, doulos. He is an indentured servant. He has decided willfully to be a slave to Jesus Christ. And he doesn't use, he doesn't play the family card here for any kind of privilege or status. 
but he does let us know that he is the brother of James. And Jesus had four brothers. They were all half-brothers, obviously. They all shared the same mother, not the same father. Jesus' father is God, and the father of his brothers was Joseph. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us the names of Jesus' four half-brothers. They are Judas, this guy here, Jude, Joseph, Simon, and James. And it tells us in Mark 6, 3, that Jesus also had sisters, plural, but they're not mentioned by name. So we know he had at least two sisters, and he had the four brothers who are mentioned by name. So he had six siblings, himself being the seventh child, Mary and Joseph making nine in the family. And you have to remember that back in those days, homes were really, really tiny. And so to have nine people in the same home in those days was crowded space, to say the least. But this is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, Jude was not chosen as one of Jesus' original apostles, and neither was James, his other half-brother. But this James here, this brother of Jude, is the same James who wrote the epistle of James. And the Bible says that all of Jesus' family at first, I guess with the exception of of Mary, and we don't really know much about what Joseph believed or thought um, concerning uh, Jesus except during the time of his birth. Joseph fades off the pages of the Bible after Jesus uh, is at the age of 12 in the temple area, and we don't hear of Joseph again. It is believed that he passes away. He's probably much older than Mary was. But the Bible does say that his siblings did not believe in him as the Messiah, not at first. Uh, They will later believe in him, as you will see here, Jude obviously does, and James does, who wrote the epistle of James. The one who wrote the epistle of James, James becomes a leader in, in the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 15, James is consulted as one of the leaders of the early church. And so his siblings will eventually come around. And this is one of them, his half-brother Judas here, or better known as as Jude. The date of this writing is unknown because there's nothing specific that ties it to any particular event. So scholars give it a time period of somewhere between 65 and 80 AD. There are two main themes in the book of Jude, and here they are. Number one, he writes to expose false teachers And number two, he writes to encourage believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. Now, he's going to tell us in the first couple of verses that was not his original intent. He's going to tell us that his original intent was just to write to fellow believers about their common salvation. To just kind of write about how good it is to know Jesus as Savior and and to experience salvation and to be Christians and to share camaraderie as believers. But he's going to change. He says, I found it more necessary to exhort you because he saw something dangerous in the early church. And so he addresses first false teachers and he exposes them and he's going to expose them heavily. And then he's going to also encourage believers to contend for the faith and finish strong. So I'm going to point out to you just a few of the different terms, not all of them, but a few of the different terms in just 25 verses that Jude uses to describe these false teachers. And you can, you'll see it as we go through, but I just wanted to kind of pull them out so, so we can see what he thinks of these false teachers. So, let there be no mistake, he didn't like them. And so he calls them ungodly in verse 4, dreamers in verse 8. In other words, they're not in touch with reality. He calls them spots or blemishes in verse 12. He calls them waterless clouds, just big puffy things that don't ever produce any any rain. 
He calls them fruitless trees, also in verse 12, because, you know, you will know people by their fruit. And he says, these false teachers, you can spot them as false because they have no fruit, not, nothing legitimate. And he calls them raging waves in verse 13, and he calls them wandering stars also. So he uses different terms to just describe them, but probably the worst of the language concerning these false teachers is at the end of verse 13, if you just glance ahead in your Bibles at the end of verse 13, He says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, that is a very nice way of saying they're going to hell. Because Jesus said three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 25, 30, that one of the things that describes hell is outer darkness outer darkness. It's interesting, you know, the Bible also speaks about unquenchable flames, but yet the unquenchable flames must not put off light because at the same time that the Bible describes hell as having unquenchable flames, it also says that it is a place of outer darkness, outer darkness. You know, the thing about darkness is it leaves someone feeling completely isolated. It is a terrible thing to be in the dark. And so, Jude says about these guys, they're ungodly dreamers, spots, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, raging waves, wandering stars, and blackness of darkness has been reserved for them forever. So he pronounces you know, judgment upon these guys because they're not being true to doctrine. They're misleading people. They are distorting the truth of God's word. They are not representing Jesus. And, and again, Jude doesn't play the family card, but he knows Jesus right? He grew up with Jesus. Now, that would be wonderful on the one hand and tough on the other hand, wouldn't it? You know, because it would, it, there would probably be the, the tendency, I, I, don't, I don't know this, obviously it's not in the Bible, but you know, so Mary and Joseph, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But, but in a lot of families, I could just hear, you know, the parents like, you know, why can't you clean up your room like Jesus? I mean, seriously, why, why can't you ever, you know, can't you do your schoolwork? Look at Jesus get straight A's. What's wrong with you? You know, so it was probably a delight and probably some, which might be the reason why his half brothers and sisters didn't at first believe in him. Like, ah, yeah, we grew up with him. Yeah, we could never live up to Jesus, you know. And so, but eventually they got over that and they love him and accept him as Messiah. And so Jude doesn't have anything good here to say about these false teachers. And he's going to expose them all through this letter. And then he's also going to, particularly at the end, encourage believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. You know, it does not really matter what kind of a start you got. What matters is how well you finish. Some of you came to know Christ at a very young age, and some of you came to know Christ later in your life. And I hear people from time to time talk about how I wish I'd come to know Christ earlier in life because I regret some of the things before I knew Jesus. And okay, you know what? You got out of the blocks a little bit late on the start, but it doesn't matter. What matters is how you finish. And God is the redeemer of lives. And God can take broken people and make them whole. And God can give us a hope and a future and and obviously salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jude is going to say here, finish well, finish strong. You may not have gotten the best start, but finish well and finish strong. So let's take a look here in chapter 1 here, verse 1, and where he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now circle those three words, called, sanctified, preserved. Called, 
sanctified. Some of your Bibles, some translations say beloved instead of sanctified. I'll take either one. I love the love of the Lord and I need to be sanctified by the Lord. Called, sanctified, and preserved. Uh, That word preserved, he's going to begin his letter and end his letter in the same way. He says that we are preserved in Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles say we are kept in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the way this all ends in verse 24, where he gives thanks to the Lord. And he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He speaks there in verse 24 about God being able to keep us. He begins the letter here in verse one saying to God, the, by God, the father and preserved or kept in Jesus Christ. And it's an encouraging word for us to remember. God is a keeping God. God is a keeping God. The Bible says in different places, like Philippians 1, 6, this is what Paul meant when he said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, because God is a keeping God. Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 1, 8, that God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a keeping God. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. God is a keeping God. And even in the Old Testament, the great priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6 says the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God is a keeping God. God is actively at work helping us to persevere. And so Jude begins his letter by saying, God is a keeping God in verse 1. God is a keeping God in verse 24. These are like bookends to his epistle, but a good reminder to us that God will help us to finish this race. He will help us to finish strong. And then in verse 2, the common salutation of, of the New Testament writers, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, be multiplied to you. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So here, here's where he's going to tell us, hey, this, my intent was to write you just a charming letter rejoicing about our common salvation. Now he doesn't mean common as in cheap, like it's everyday common. He means common in its mutual He says, I had intended to write to you about our mutual salvation, our common faith, but he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now in your Bibles there, contend earnestly is one word in the Greek, and it is the only time this particular Greek word is used in all of the New Testament. And the word is Epagonizomei, and in the yeah, you try that three times, and in the middle of that word, apagonizomei is where we get our English word agonize. Apagonizomei, and so the idea is to fight, to agonize, to labor, contend earnestly for the faith. Now, it isn't in the sense like you have to earn it, you know, work for salvation. Salvation's already been gained for you. Okay, we receive it through faith, it's a gift from God, it's, it's by grace that we save. But it's the idea that now that we are saved, we're in this for the long haul, so fight for your faith. Stay strong in the Lord. Don't grow weary, don't get weak, don't check out, don't become complacent, don't become apathetic in your faith. Fight, 
agonize, labor, because why? It's important. You fight for what's important. You fight for the things that are valuable. Your faith is valuable. It's supremely valuable. So he's challenging us, fight, fight for your faith. Don't allow the influence of evil to overcome you, but fight for the faith. And he's going to tell us in a few verses here, examples of people who lost, people who gave in to the evil influence of their day. So he challenges us here, he exhorts us. He said, I, I wanted to write this wonderful letter about our common salvation, but instead I find myself overwhelmed here. I have to exhort you uh, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, for certain men, here's this idea about the false teachers, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. NIV says they've, come, they've secretly slipped in among you. You know, False teachers are not going to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a false teacher. They sneak in secretively. I throw this caution out every once in a while. It's important. You don't take my word for it. You search what scripture says. You don't take some TV evangelist word for it. You search scriptures to see what the Bible says. You don't read a Christian book and just take it at face value. You pass it through the grid of God's word. We have to make sure that we're testing things because false teachers don't announce themselves. They come in secretly. They come in, they crept in unnoticed. Who, verse four, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. A lot of times lewdness we think in terms of sexuality, but it, it just bas- basically means a brazen practice. The, the corruption of doctrine is a brazen practice. He could, that's what he means by lewdness. He says, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, but I want to remind you, and he's going to give us examples here. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He's going to give us three examples here. Now, Now he's talking here about encouraging believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. And he's going to give three examples of people who didn't finish well, of people who didn't fight for the faith. Now, he's going to draw on Old Testament examples because that's what he has, the Jewish scriptures. I mean, in the first century, you didn't have the completion of the New Testament. You're still relying on the scripture of the Old Testament. And so the Tanakh, the whole of God's word from Genesis to Malachi. And so he's going to draw on three examples from the Old Testament of those who allowed evil to influence them. And they didn't stand strong in the faith. They didn't stand strong in the Lord. And so the first one that he points out here in verse 5, reminding us, though you once knew this, the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So the first example he gives is the Israelites in the wilderness. And this account, of course, is is all through the book of Exodus and recounted again in in the book of Numbers. and, And it's this whole wilderness wandering thing for 40 years when God had delivered the Jewish slaves out of slavery in Egypt, and that by itself was a series of miracles to eventually get Pharaoh reluctantly to let the Hebrew slaves go. And God takes them to the promised land, and there they are on the border of the promised land, and Moses sends in uh, 12 spies, and two come back with a good report, the others have a bad report. And the two that had a good report were Caleb and Joshua. 
And all the others had a bad report. Oh, we, we, there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. They're going to consume us. Uh, I don't know. You know, we've come this far, but you know, we, I don't think that we're going to be victorious. And maybe, maybe we made a big mistake. And, and they spread fear throughout the whole camp of the Israelites. And before you know it, all along the way, the Israelites have been grumbling and complaining about this and that. And now this was just like the straw that broke the camel's back because now they're like, well, if there are giants in the land, and if this doesn't look like someplace that we can take and occupy, then what are we doing out here in the wilderness? And they start complaining to God. Like, we can't go in there. It would have been better if we had gone back to Egypt. We would be better off back in Egypt. And so God's like, okay, you want Egypt? Okay. You're, you're, You're right here in the Sinai Peninsula. Why don't you just hang out here for 40 more years? And for 40 years, that entire generation would wander in the Sinai Peninsula until they would eventually die off. And only their children would go into the promised land plus Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who had the favorable report because they believed God. Besides Joshua and Caleb, an entire generation of the Israelites would die in the wilderness. Why? Because they did not believe God. And they did not stand for what was right and true. And they allowed evil influence to take over their hearts and their minds. And they ended up dying in the wilderness. And God gave them what they really wanted. We don't want to go in there. Okay, fine, then you can die out here, and I'll take your children into the promised land. And that's exactly what he did. And so Jude draws on that example. He says, hey, remember the Jewish people. They came out of the land of Egypt. They started well, but they didn't finish well. And so they died in the wilderness. Verse 6, this is example number 2. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So number two, the second example that Jude gives here is about the angels who rebelled with Satan. Again, they got off to a great start, but they didn't finish well because they allowed the influence of Satan to steal their hearts away from God. And what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, actually, because the Bible is not necessarily in chronological order, and and some of what we read in the book of Revelation actually predates things and goes back historically. And Revelation 12 talks about how Satan rebelled against God, and that day that he rebelled against God, he led a third of what the Bible calls stars, but it's a euphemism for angels. He led a third of the angels in rebellion with him in this great coup against God. Now, how many is a third of the angels? We don't know because we don't know how many angels there actually are. But you're talking a lot. And these third, the third of the angels who rebelled with Satan were expelled with him from heaven, otherwise known today as demons. Satan inspired them to rebel against God with him. And thus, they were expelled. But what Jude is telling us here. And there's another story in Luke chapter 8 that backs all this up as well when you compare Scripture with Scripture. What Jude is telling us is that some of the worst of the worst of these demons have been kept in this chains, reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, in Revelation uh, chapter 12, it speaks about when they rebelled, but Revelation also tells us that there's going to come a time when God will open the lid of this abyss. And these demons will be allowed during the period of the Great Tribulation to come out and to torment people. It is actually by His grace that He has kept the worst of the worst of the demons presently under chains in the abyss. 
towards your new life. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary Hamrick for this study in the book of Jude. Pastor Gary has been teaching through this short New Testament letter, encouraging you to stand up for the truth of God's Word. Jude reminds its listeners that there are people in this world who will try to pass their own theology off as reality. These false teachers can lead people away from God, but you can know their deception. Spend time in the Word often and get to know your Creator through its text. The more you know, the easier it will be to spot the lies. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect and learn more about this ministry. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, you're welcome to join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting in person and online, and you can find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. How can we be praying for you? Let us know by calling us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Gary and the team at Cornerstone Connection in your prayers as we continue to follow God's leading for this program. Please pray too that your fellow listeners would hear the gospel message and respond. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. But still you know, but still you know, you're not.